Reporting from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations, this is the Cyber Risk Report. The Cyber Risk Report is a strategic intelligence product created by Cisco analysts that highlights current security issues in mid- to long-range perspectives. The report addresses seven major risk management categories, including vulnerability, physical, legal, trust, identity, human, and geopolitical. This report covers the time period of March 26th through April 1st, 2012. Vulnerability activity remained consistent with previous periods. The annual IntelliShield statistics show a continued increase in activity for the first three months of 2012, a significant 17% increase over the same period in 2011. Highlights for the period include the semi-annual Cisco iOS Software Security Advisory bundled publication and security advisories and updates for Adobe Flash Player, Real Networks Real Player, Clam AV, HP Performance Manager, and HP UX, Opera, Red Hat, and Wireshark. Cisco released the semi-annual Cisco iOS Software Security Advisory bundled publication that included nine security advisories and 13 individual vulnerabilities. The security advisories correlated with IntelliShield alerts, IPS signature updates, and an applied mitigation bulletin are available on the Cisco SIO portal and in the Cisco event response. Researchers reported identifying malicious applications on the Google Web Store and a new denial-of-service vulnerability for the Google Android operating system and phones. The DOS vulnerability may also remain persistent after the phone is rebooted, preventing users from clearing the exploit. Microsoft and the U.S. Marshals Service ex executed another botnet takedown, this time targeting the Zeus botnet. This takedown was unique in that it exercised Civil Filing and RICO Act filings to enable rapid warrants to seize the command and control server domains. Similarly, Kaspersky reported the reactivation of the HLUX uh, Kalios botnet following the previous takedown that now appears to be reactivating with a new version of the botnet code. And Russian officials reported the continued investigation and arrests associated with the Carbur botnet takedown. IntelliShield published 112 events last week, 67 new events, and 45 updated events. These alerts are available via the IntelliShield Alert Manager service. Visit www.cisco.com slash go slash IntelliShield for more information. Moving on to the physical risk management category. The widely reported incident of a JetBlue pilot causing a mid-air emergency resulting in the co-pilot locking the pilot from the cockpit and later having to be subdued by the crew and passengers again raises more security questions for air travel. The co-pilot and another pilot who was traveling on the flight safely landed the aircraft and authorities removed the pilot from the aircraft. While investigation of the event continues, and in this case the situation was handled without injuries, it again raises several questions over the policies and procedures for aircraft safety. This type of scenario may have been played out in tabletop exercises and planning sessions, but calls into question some of the practices currently in place. Are we now expecting the passengers or passers-by to actively participate in a security event? 
who's making the decision on what or who is a threat? The pilot, co-pilot, crew, passengers, office managers, any individual stepping forward? And how do these individuals determine if it's the pilot that's the threat and not the co-pilot that has taken over the aircraft? Would this similarly apply to subduing a threatening individual in a business or public setting? Emergency and law enforcement authorities are trained responders that face these complicated decisions regularly and are backed by their organizations for liability protection. But if the passengers or random individuals who happen to be present are, are now expected to actively participate, who's making those decisions and backing them? What if they don't participate? Uh, taking this out of the aircraft and placing it in a business office. If a perceived threat is identified, who's making the decision that there is in fact a threat and who is now expected to volunteer or participate? If untrained individuals are expected to participate, should they receive some type of notification of that expectation, training, or should they participate in drills? One point to note was that the majority of this particular event was captured on video taken on cell phones, allowing for review of the details of the incident, in addition to the aircraft communications, although the aircraft didn't have this type of uh, security video capability. While these types of events have ended positively to date, uh, there are several gray areas in these practices that need to be considered and addressed in planning exercises, policies, and practices. And next, in the trust risk management category. Recently, security experts testified to the Senate Armed Services Subcommittee that U.S. Department of Defense computer networks had been uh, penetrated in a manner so complete that the current mentality of cyber defense must change. According to the experts, the focus should be on, quote, protecting data, not controlling access. Experts from the NSA and other government labs also reiterated the need for the U.S. to change the way it thinks about DoD computer networks. Moreover, the notion that the U.S. must assume that, quote, the adversary is in our networks has been promoted. The call to arms has been stated. Uh, the challenge with DoD and other government entities is much like that of security in the vendor versus open source realm. As the public has limited in insight into the inner workings and solutions in this space, not unlike with vendor product software code, uh, the possibilities and solutions are limited to those who are employed by the DoD. This inherently also limits the scope and innovation factor. Should the DoD security teams indeed work on the assumption that they've been compromised and look to protect from the inside out? The Verizon data breach report shows that most breaches aren't discovered by the owners, but by third parties, and can have been compromised for one to two years before discovery. How does this change security perspectives, such as recommended practices, security architecture, incident response, and others? As always, there are many questions, but solutions must begin to flow in order to better protect, prevent, and mitigate attacks on DoD environments. And this week in the identity risk management category, reports this week showed how criminals are targeting credit reporting agencies and websites. 
The preferred method is to skip the password and instead attack the security questions, questions that are common across many websites. When the guesses are correct, post the credit information for sale to others. Criminals target credit reporting companies because the information about a credit report consumer is complete. Uh, the credit report on someone with a high credit score may sell for $80. Why is this amount so high when compared with a black market credit card price of $3 for the same consumer? With credit reports and credit reporting credentials, criminals may turn off alerts, uh, change contact information, order credit cards, um, secure loans, and buy a car or house with the information. Last April, when Prince William and uh, Kate Middleton were married, a popular Facebook post was generate your own royal name uh, by combining your grandmother or grandfather's last name, add that to your first pet's name, and then the street you grew up on. This was clearly a way to harvest critical security questions. The convenience of the Facebook API allowed for anyone to download royal names by the thousands. But to what end? And now the same types of security answers are being used for wholesale identity theft. Banks have been using security questions since 1906, and until a stronger authenticator is implemented, this attack will continue. Recent iterations of this fraud have already arrived in the form of tax refund fraud. And next, in the human risk management category, Students at a Jewish girls' school in Brooklyn were compelled to delete their Facebook accounts or be faced with expulsion from the, camp, from the school. The school is attempting to address a decline of modesty with the anti-Facebook policy. According to the principal at the school, a policy prohibiting social media use has been in place for two years. Earlier this year, a student was forced to turn over her Facebook account password after it was alleged that she was carrying on a conversation about sex with another student. A U.S. Army Reserve specialist is also being reprimanded for making a Ron Paul endorsement while in uniform. Specialist Jesse D. Thorson violated an Army policy barring soldiers from participating in political events while in uniform. Both of these groups of individuals are subject to policies of organizations that they joined voluntarily, uh, one online and the other offline. When an individual desires to voluntarily align themselves with an organization, they also agree to comply with the policies put in place by that organization. While public schools are prohibited from implementing arbitrary censorship, nothing pre prevents such censorship in private schools. Uh, private businesses, or any other organization if, if acting as a representative of that business or organization. If the organization has in place a policy that limits online activity or public speech and an individual goes against that policy, it's only logical that the individual may be reprimanded or denied association with the organization. When making comments on social media, steps should be taken to ensure you are speaking as an individual uh, and not as an official representative of any organization you may be associated with. And finally, in the geopolitical risk management category, following the shootings in Toulouse, France, the investigation continues tracking personal through online connections of the confessed shooter. Uh, 
In the past week, 17 additional arrests have occurred uh, in connection with the shooter across the country. Uh, at the same time, the presidential election in France is reaching its peak in, with elections coming on April 22nd of 2012. The shootings and ongoing investigation has pushed immigration, terrorism, state security, and internet policies to the front of the election debates. These shootings sent a shockwave across France, which some of the presidential candidates compared to the U.S. 9-11 attacks. With the France presidential elections now in the home stretch, the shootings have pushed security to the front of the election debates both highlighting President Sarkozy's current policies and the handling of the attacks and the challengers calling out the failures of the president's policies and handling. As all of the EU currently debates internet privacy, user rights, and government monitoring policies, uh, the shootings in France similarly have impacted those debates, uh, possibly tilting the scales in favor of security over individual rights. The presidential candidates in France have called for increasing monitoring, blocking of threatening websites and forums, uh, and investigation of those who visit or contribute to threatening sites. Similar to the U.S. policy and increased government authority shifts following the 9-11 attacks, France and the EU in general could be more inclined to enact policies tightening internet monitoring, blocking, and tracking. This concludes the Cyber Risk Report for this week. To read the full report, visit www.cisco.com slash go slash SIO and select the Cyber Risk Reports link. Tune in for next week's report from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations. Thanks for listening and stay safe.